Hugh Darnell, thanks for jumping on today. Oh, thanks for having me, Keggs. Good to always a pleasure to chat with you, my mate. What did you have for breakfast today? Uh, had for brekkie what uh, mints, leftover mints, and broccolini. How was it last, last night? Yeah, still out for. I fought, I did some fasting last two days before that. Um, today had an early start, big day of clients, and I find if I fast on those days, I, I'm not too sharp with the uh, responses when necessary. So try to fuel up in the morning on those days. Yeah, definitely. Uh... Something that I've experienced as well. How did you, how did you go? Did you just do intermittent fasting on those two days before, or what did you do there? Yeah, intermittent fasting. I went to about ten one day and um, twelve the day before that. So yeah, and then I ate dinner probably around seven or eight the night before. Try to give. I find that that window of time. If I can get over that initial little window of hunger, like mid morning, then you can pretty much go as long as you want. But I had a workout, so I just fueled up post workout. Yeah. What's the motivation? How, do, how long have you been doing that? On and off, maybe like two years. Yeah. I just find I go through periods of time where maybe either nutrition's not as, as clean as I'd like it to be or just um, focus changes a little bit, not training as much as I need to. So I just try and dial back the, the calories to kind of match a little bit. And I just find it, I feel good afterwards, to be honest. Like if I, the body's not feeling crash hot in terms of getting a little bit achy or training volume goes up and just feeling a little bit stiff and sore or like digestive systems not like feel just feeling a little bit sluggish. I like I find that's a good way to um yeah, I guess give it a little bit of a reset if you if you want to put it that way. But feel good afterwards, feel clean. Mental clarity is good when I when I don't eat through the middle part of the day. So if I got some like more just like paperwork style stuff, I, I, I find that a good way to be a little bit more creative. Um, but yeah, as I mentioned before, if, I, if I've got clients, I find if I don't eat for too long, I, I start thinking about food uh, yeah. instead of thinking about what's going on in the session, which is not a good thing. Yeah. So generally like a few days a week? like Yeah. I find if I do it too many days in a row, I start to like my energy bonks in sessions and my quality of training drops. I find like two is good, three probably max for me, four days, then I start to notice a drop in training performance and um, it, it, I can continue to do it. Like it's not that aspect of it. I just find things start to suffer a little bit. Yeah. It's not like ment mentally overly taxing, but it's not, if it's decreasing your performance, your focus or whatever, then it's not serving its purpose. Yeah. To be honest, I find it mentally refreshing. Like you don't have to worry about what you're eating. Like yeah. there's nothing people struggle with, you know, should I eat this, should I eat that? But if you want to give someone good advice, like intermittent fasting, you just don't eat. That's pretty, pretty uh, self-explanatory way of going about it. Yeah, very black and white and probably the easiest way to create calorie deficit but also become a little bit more fat adapted in terms of using fat as a fuel and, and being able to you know, not be sugar dependent, not have as much blood sugar fluctuation. Have you, have you noticed anything with that? I think that probably has a little bit to do with the, the mental clarity side of it. Like I yeah. find if I eat early, then I just find that I kind of get more of that less consistent energy throughout the day, thought processes, um, mind kind of power stuff probably is not as consistent. Whereas if I 
do the intermittent fasting. I find I'm a bit more level energy wise up until the point where I, where I eat and then I kind of get, you know, the, the I guess, postprandial kind of um, glucose coming up, all the stuff going around which you want in your body, but then you get a little bit of a, a um, committing kind of like crash after that, I guess, if you want to put it that way. But yeah. No, kind of illusions. Like I've, I've eaten heaps of different ways. I just find different styles of eating good in different times of my life or, you know, when I've got different focuses or different priorities. It's a good way to be. Experimentation, use what works. If it stops working, do something else. It's a, it's a, nice, it's a nice thing. It doesn't sound like you're ready to get an intermittent fasting tattoo or anything like that. The dogma is not like setting in too deeply, but it's a, it's a tool that's playing a part. It's a good, good way to be. I've never taken I've, the longest I've done is till night. So like dinner to dinner, I've never gone to your level, mate, and done a few days. <laughs> there's a, there's a level of stupidity that some people manage to keep themselves away from. Uh, like I don't know. Yeah, I did seven days once, and like I was waiting to feel good, and I just didn't didn't come. But I did like twenty RM squat on day one, and I think like that pushing stress hormone stuff like early on probably wasn't a good idea. But anyway. You, you touched a little bit on being in a, in a clinic there. Um, do you, like, was that what you were planning to do? Like you, you know, maybe share a bit about what you do and was that like the idea when you were doing your studies? Uh, not like if I go back to when I first started, like I started off um, heading towards being a chemical engineer um, doing, there was like a, a family business where there was, I guess, a need to kind of go in with that skill set. So I started off doing uh, molecular microbial biology at uni. You're right. Got the, the white lab coat on in the, uh, in the safety glasses. Um, but yeah, kind of quickly realized that that wasn't for me. And I always grew sport playing. Um, I always yeah, grew up playing sport and it was a big part of my life. So it was a natural progression that I kind of wanted to be doing something involved with that. And I suffered a few injuries. So spent a bit of time in physio uh, offices and, um, we, you know, shoulder surgery, a few bits and pieces like that. So I knew the importance of what, what, you know, um, the what, what happened that, to so. your shoulder? I, I, I recently, I heard it so like I, overuse, I think was the general kind of like theme of the injury, but uh, I used to swam and play water polo a lot growing up. So pretty aggressive shoulder motion. And then with maybe some shitty genetics of not a great shoulder joint. Um, but then I, I heard it surfing didn't give it enough time to heal. And then I completely blew it playing soccer, um, dislocated the shoulder pretty badly, did some nerve damage, rotator cuff stuff. And then had playing to get, soccer. yeah, yeah. Would you believe it? It's you get physical. What happened? You get in contact with someone or hitting the ground? I dived out and I, I saved the ball like with an outstretched arm and it kind of put my arm behind my body a bit. And then my elbow hit the ground in that position of apprehension. Goalkeeper. Yeah, goalkeeper. That makes a bit more sense. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't taking a dive, mate. Was a <laughs> yeah. It was one of, the, one of those phantom slide tackles in you. <laughs> That'd be a bad way to do it. You wouldn't want to tell that story. No. no. Uh, yeah, right. So you had you had a shoulder reconstruction. It's pretty uh, – you have, did you have a full reconstruction or what, what did you get there? Uh, rotator cuff repair. So yeah, yeah. not as extreme as some people get. Um, and then I – yeah, I guess after that, always with the idea of not going back to any sport and then went back to playing water polo again, then blew the other shoulder, then chose not to have surgery because 
just didn't want to spend that long in a sling again, to be honest. Brutal, hey? Like the, the, the rehab process from the surgery. Yeah, definitely. Been in a sling for 10 weeks, like six weeks full-time, and then getting it out on those last four weeks of, the, of that 10-week period. At the time where I had my feet plates, just got them, and then wasn't able to even drive. So it was pretty, pretty tough going. But as I, as I mentioned, like spent a fair bit of time around physios in that rehab process and kind of thought that may have been something that I wanted to get involved with. And then I guess um, getting back to your question of how, how I kind of got into more of the clinical stuff, like my dream was to work in professional sport. And, and that's kind of where I, where I aim my studies. Um, and I, I kind of headed that way in terms of directing some um, exterior professional development learning, trying to do some work placement stuff, do some internships at different places to kind of build my, my toolkit and get as, ex, as much experience as I could in different population groups. So did you transfer from the uh, microbial science to exercise physiology or? Man, I actually, I deferred uni after a year and a half of that and I did a chippies apprenticeship for two years. I'm on the call about getting That's why you're doing your own renovations. That's, uh, yeah. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, I wish I wish I'd have done that two years at some stage. Maybe could have taken a little bit of backpacking out. Might have saved myself a bunch of heartache and dollars. But anyway, it's probably for another another story. But yeah, right. So you, you did the chippy thing, and then you you'd already had your shoulder injuries at that point, and and then what were you like? How did you get from being a chippy to like where you are now? What was the next step after that? Well, mate, I was, I was powerlifting at the time, probably not taking great care of my body, just lifting heavy stuff, working on the tools all day. And then the shoulder started to become a bit of an issue again. Yeah. And I, I just kind of got to a point where I had a hard think about what I wanted to be doing in the future. And um, if I was, my body was that beat up at that age, I didn't really see a long future in that. So kind of explored the option of going back to university again. And that's where I kind of stumbled across ex-phys, sports science, and, and that got me pretty excited. And, you know, I wasn't a great student by any stretch of the imagination when I was first at uni, like struggling with a few fails. And, um, yeah, I wasn't really that excited by what I was doing. And that kind of showed with the, the results I was getting. And came back in, kind of started taking up subjects that I really enjoyed more down the line of heading towards that professional sport realm. And, you know, grades started to get better. I started to kind of reach out, started reading T Nation, Eric Cressy, Tony Gentlecord, Dean Somerset, Ripple Toe, all the big dogs from the US and like realised how much more there was to the world than we were being taught in that university model, which I, f- I feel like was a big part of my development as a coach, continually kind of training myself and uh, learning from other guys outside of the, the, the university model. And I think I was getting towards the end of my studies. So I finished my undergrad exercise nutrition science and then uh, signed up for a master's clinical ex-phys and I kind of saw myself going towards that more rehab side of the, the sports science world. And then, yeah, kind of that, that's when I, I bumped, I came across paths with yourself when you were doing strength essentials with Corey Bocchi back in the day. And um, I think it was Ben, um, Gone on a call with uh, Ben, one of the guys who was helping out here at the time, and it sounded like such a good opportunity that I, I couldn't let go to, to be a part of 
coming to a course like that and getting in part of that was early, very early days, maybe even before it was real movement. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, it was, that was when I came across pies with you and then kind of going, finding out about guys like Paul check and, um, different, different kind of ways of thinking about the prepare for athletic performance path. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess it just opened my eyes to a whole, whole new world. Where, where were you at with your powerlifting at that time? Like going through your degree and like how serious did you get with it? What were your, what were your numbers? How are you feeling about that? Yeah, I, I think I started off where most people do with a bodybuilding kind of focus. Doing your, your bodybuilder split and then uh, got exposed to powerlifting as I mentioned. So spent a lot of time trying to build up some of those lifts and by no stretch of the imagination of my good strength athlete. Um, built for, I got deadlift up to about 200 around there. Back squat was never great. 150-ish, 140. Uh, bench press, slogged away at it. Never really got that far. About 125 was the best I ever got uh, back in the day. Obviously, not a well-structured uh, individual. A lot of chest muscles. <laughs> yeah, but uh, even like, I guess regardless of the numbers, like that, that endeavor probably gave a lot more context to what you were learning at university. Like uh, when I went through, there were probably two thirds of the students weren't really engaged in strength training or probably anything really physical. Like that to me felt like, you know, like you're probably not getting as much out of this because you don't really have any context to, to kind of put it into. Uh, in retrospect, it would have been good to be a personal trainer probably at the same time as well, like to already be, you know, doing that. But um, do you like, do you think that contributed? Like, would that be something that you'd recommend to people who studying their exercise science, you know, to, to have an endeavor there that they, they're applying things to? Def yeah, definitely training and implementing what you're learning is massive in my opinion, because even today, like it, it, if I don't continue to train, I don't know what things feel like. I don't know the process people uh, you know, are going through as, as I'm giving them training, um, programs, exercises, what the execution should feel like. And when you train yourself, you just you get that intuitive feel around how different things should feel and, and how, uh, I guess, an appreciable rate of a progression with exercise should go. And you start to kind of develop a mindset where you're not so closed off and um, I guess dogmating about one style of training if you're, you're a bit more open and you, you start playing around with things, which I kind of think that I alluded to earlier when I came across Pazio, I started to think, uh, focus on things like gymnastics, which I would never have thought that you'd do for an athlete and uh, like Olympic lifting and uh, like movement-based stuff. I, it was such like an eye-opener and then training in those techniques myself, like you start to feel how the body feels um, in terms of you know, moving better, getting stronger, I think it's such an invaluable part of a young person, a young professional, young coach's development. Like if you're not training yourself, you're missing out on like yeah. it's it's more than half the puzzle in my mind. And yeah. if you're not training yourself, you're just not going to be able to serve people better either. It's almost like learning different languages, hey, and then being in a multilingual environment, like. In movement's so there's so many possibilities and it's quite complex but if you're only if you've only got like one set of tools even if you're carpentry like if you've only got a hammer then there's only so many problems you can solve with a hammer you know if you had to do your innovations just with your hammer 
you know, you'd be in, in more trouble than you know, having a repertoire or having speaking multiple languages, traveling the world. Like it's, it's a better, better way to be, I think. And even if you don't specialize in, you know, a certain type of craft or a certain language, having a, a grasp of it and an understanding of it, like even just being in that environment of like, oh shit, like I can't do this stuff at all or I don't speak this language at all. Like when you, when you backpack, I think that overwhelm is a humbling and important feeling. Like if you know, when you start, you've been in the gym for ages, you've done some powerlifting, you've done some bodybuilding, like you're king of the world, but then you go to do a handstand or you go to do some juggling or something like that. And you're all of a sudden like back to point zero, you go, Oh, this is what it feels like when someone comes in and they, they're not a, they don't have a training background or whatever, you know, like you, you, you get that humbleness again. I think within real movement, like everyone has something that's humbling them, whether it's the backflip or whether it's the, you know, uh, whatever it is. Some people it's swimming, right? Like that's been a big one. Some of the events like usually have one or two people that are either scared of the open water or they just don't swim. And so whenever we do like a, sometimes we've done big ocean swims and stuff and people have like fully freaked out. Like it's been intense experiences, but I think staying in touch with that, that very beginner thing and that, you know, comfort zone like is 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 a valuable thing for a coach to do to to be in contact with what their client's gonna you know go through or the athlete um, yeah that's probably a good segue to the other challenge that you that you've taken on there with yourself that power background and you know water polo etc you decided to to get into some triathlon like how was how was that journey like pulling on the lycra and, and everything that goes with that um yeah mate i <laughs> don't mind a pair of funky trunks so it was a, a good transition for me <laughs> like growing up so i mentioned i was a swimmer so i yeah. think having that part of the, the triathlon pretty like uh, i guess confident with that part of the triathlon that was a, a good thing and i also did a bit of cycling over the years but transitioning towards that endurance end of the spectrum which i kind of i had in my mind that if you want to be strong and if you want to be athletic if you if you spend too much time on endurance you get weak and you get slow and i had that a very set frame of mind around thinking about conditioning and it had to be high intensity intervals and it had to be fast and it had to be sprints and uh, if i wasn't doing that it, it it wouldn't serve me to become more athletic and so partly to try and challenge that belief, but also for self-interest, I kind of just got a bit stagnated with my own training. So I thought I'd explore a triathlon. And yeah, like I hooked up with a mate of mine who he's a, a decent Ironman triathlete and just so happened to be timing where his strength coach was going back overseas. So he was happy to trade some strength programming for some, uh, for some triathlon programming. And he put me through my paces I think he was trying to kill me at the start there but uh yeah it was it was a, a telling experience about how much i'd let those endurance qualities kind of fall to the wayside and how hard that stuff was to start with um but the rate of progression and like, the energy level increase that i was chatting to you about the other week that it became very apparent that it was something that i hadn't been paying attention on and i probably shouldn't have been because you know resting heart rate dropped uh, body composition was changing favorably, sleeping a bit better. Um, I just felt my energy levels were good all day around. Like I, I was feeling like it had, it was something that I needed to be doing. 
And yeah, like you said, that new kind of challenges like running, I hadn't been running for a while. So threw myself back into that and yeah, didn't heed my own advice of, you know, slowly progressing loads and got a few calf injuries and um, kind of went, went through the process that a lot of my clients go through of, you know, getting excited with something and really just ripping in and getting the, uh, the negative adaptation from that, which was, you know, from with strains. But um, it, was, it was a fun, fun experience. Definitely for sure. So a lot of loans out of it as well. I think that's, it's a huge thing. And something that I knew was popping up with athletes was when you keep powering up the hips, if you don't power up the ankles and the knees, like you're, you're asking for trouble. And to a large extent, you know, we would, we would work the knee and we work the hip, but the, the ankle, a lot of the conditioning of the ankle was really just with their miles on the field. And, and through that, that was enough for most guys to be fine because they'd run quite a lot. You know, in the rugby league environment, they've been running consistently since they were kids. So, like, generally, they've been quite well developed. But when you make a big jump in hip strength and hip power, and especially if they're coming off the period where they haven't been running, then, yeah, you you can easily pop into those, you know, calf strain, niggled Achilles, that sort of thing. Like, it's probably, um, you know, it's a probably good thing for you to experience because now if you're working with any endurance athlete, like, that would be a key focus in the in the early phase, like to, you know, or maybe you know, maybe there's mobility challenges as well there with doing a lot of bike and getting tight calves from the volume on the bike as well. Yeah, no, definitely. And like, if we take that kind of discussion point and, and take it to like a clinical, um, I guess, example or, or way of, you know, um, I guess, actionable stuff when you do either with yourself come across something like that, or if you have athletes or, or clients that you want to kind of see if they they lack even have the ability of the of the calf to kind of tolerate the strength endurance end of the spectrum and then all the way through to more of like a, a strength end of the spectrum from some stuff that you can affect as a coach like we, we use one in, in clinic a straight leg kind of calf raise to fail uh, left first right and, and then and that's just a good gross indicator of do you even have the ability to to calf raise consistently for 30 reps minimum, I think there's some good literature around showing that's a good benchmark to hit as an athlete. Um, and then something that often goes unchecked is like the soleus part of that, so bent knee calf strength. So can you can you get away of objectively measuring that uh, bent knee kind of same raise from a strength endurance point of view? Uh, and you could probably even make the argument if, you, if you're doing long distance stuff, you should be getting well over like 50, 60 reps each side when you think of how many single leg uh, steps or stances you take in a run um, but then progressing that on to you know maybe a, a calf raise on a, a leg press going towards more of like the 5RM 3RM end of the spectrum and then ticking that off as well um, yep. what's your ability to, to produce high end force uh, from that end of the spectrum and but like once you've ticked those boxes then you can start going into things like you're you skipping uh, plyos and um, you kind of earned the right there with you know, endurance strength then go into rate of force development work but I find that's a good rehab model for guys coming through the clinic with uh, ankle stuff and did you work towards some benchmarks like that after you got some niggles yes I did and another real cool tool they got at the moment is the, the groin bar um, from Valve Performance guys and, and you can kind of jimmy rig it to the point where it turns into a seated calf raise and so I could do some real like max ISO uh, three rep max to fail what I could produce right versus left. And I had some good objective data around 
what what the calves were looking like from that aspect. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's such a cool piece of equipment where you, your imagination kind of limits what you can do with it. So, being uh, in time between clients, get heading over and just running through some testing for shoulders and hips and. Yeah, yeah. Do you do like the old peck, like squeeze it together, like? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> just before the client comes in. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, that's cool. You can do like measure something objective around the seated calf raise. I mean, you can if you've got a seated calf raise machine, you can kind of get something relatively objective. I've been doing heaps of them, um, you know, working on on my calf strength, but. Is there any kind of tempo you're thinking about with the straight leg calf raise? Is it like relatively ballistic or no elasticity? Or so I think this it makes quite a bit of difference. Hey, the execution on that. Absolutely, I think with any kind of if it's an injury that we're dealing with, we often want to slow the time under tension and the the eccentric and concentric component of a lift. And I kind of have the the I guess the time under tension thought process that you would address with a. a a tendinopathy so slow concentric slow eccentric to begin with and then after that progressing more towards that rate of force development into the spectrum where contractions get quicker and um yeah yeah you obviously speed of contraction is, is what you're after there but early stages is isometrics it's slow isotonic lifting like three seconds up three seconds down four seconds up four seconds down that kind of stuff uh, and then get away from that a bit quicker. Yeah, I've been doing it with the, um, so I've been following that knees over toes stuff and doing like one second down, one second pause in the bottom, one second up, and then two second pause at the top. He's really big on like building that that strength at the top um, with his focus being towards like jumping and dunking and that sort of thing. Um, but he, yeah, there's like a benchmark of I think it's 25% of body weight for 10 reps. Um, holding the dumbbell in the same side hand. Um, but it's pretty clear with, um, you know, all the tempos and that sort of thing. So when you're saying that 30, would that be like pretty much just going for it and getting getting a good stretch on each rep? Because that's also the other thing, whether you like full, full range of motion or not 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 as, you know, not super tight on it. Yeah, if, it, if it's... Is it off a step or is it on the ground? Is it, to start with, it's ground. Yeah early stage because you just if it is a calf strain we don't want to be yeah yeah with, yeah but do want to definitely progress to step for sure yeah yeah is that yeah. what you're thinking about with that 30 though or is that like is that what the testing is because i've seen those numbers and stuff before i've heard um the guy that's at west sydney um afl like he talks about it um joyce it's off the ground that's the way that's I'm off the sure. ground yeah yeah and gotcha. the tempo is uh, add to a metronome, one second up, one second down. If you can't maintain the tempo, you're done. If you okay. the buckle, you're done. If you use, it's like index finger and thumb on the wall, so you're not getting like a push off the wall. Yep. Um, we used it at Brisbane Lions as well as a pre-season marker of calf stuff, and it was 50 reps per side as like baseline. If you didn't have that, they put a calf strength intervention place in place to kind of get you up to scratch. Yep. 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 So yeah, would yeah. The devil's in the details, hey, it's massively different if you depending on how you how you cut and slice that, but that makes sense. So yeah, yeah you spent a bit of time with the with the Reds and the Lions, the Reds juniors, yeah, there at one stage when we were in the early days there. 
how how did you find the or and then obviously the Norse Devils as well. So with the Q Cup with my my brother's team there, like do you want to share a bit about like that pro environment and maybe try and like what 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 should uh, people coming through exercise science or sports science who think they want to be in that environment? Like what do you think are the biggest things that they should be thinking about? Uh, so yeah, first part of that, I guess the, the, the different experiences. So Reds was Reds Academy. I went in there as an intern. Um, that was while I was still at uni doing my studies. That, that was like such an awesome experience. First kind of dose, like obviously they're not professional in terms of they're, they're the junior guys under twenties Academy, but they're the, they're the potential for the future that those uh, teams, super 15 teams are going to be drawing from. So having a look at like pre-training screening and like the, what they're doing when the lads get into training and, and the environment of having a lot of like young male guys who are really driven to succeed at sport in that competitive environment, what kind of environment that can foster and how cool it was with it, that they then get um, supported with you know, medical staff and, and physical performance staff who are trying to help them in that aspect go to that next step. But then they also had people helping them with other life areas to just kind of make sure that they're making good decisions with their nutrition and making sure that they're like uh, taking care of themselves and kind of seeing like a really professional model of periodized programming put into place for these guys and, and good coaching with, you know, obviously there was a lot of different athletes in that uh, room at one time, but uh, the guy that ran that, he, he ran a pretty tight ship in terms of making sure they're progressing week to week and, uh, sometimes falling out the window when you've got a lot of young guys lifting together, a lot of testosterone flying around, but it was an awesome kind of t- taste of what that environment could be like. And yep. I guess my next taste of that was when I worked at Brisbane Lions in the, um, as an assistant strength and power coach. That was my first paid gig in a, in a professional team, which was, like as I mentioned earlier, it was kind of all my dreams had come true. That was the, the pinnacle for me in terms of getting into that environment and, Maybe I didn't take the most of that advantage when I was there in terms of um, like giving it 110%, but it was it was a cool place to be in terms of learning lots. I was surrounded by guys like Matt and Selwyn. Uh, he, they're both like awesome at what they do, so smart. Like every aspect of training, they, they've got a good experience with or they, or they knew people to chat to about it. And like seeing people that driven to be that good at what they do was was awesome and like I'm not sure if uh selling sleeps the amount he knows like and the amount of guys that he was helping out at that club but it, it was cool to be in that environment where yeah everyone's trying to push performance to the to that like next level and yeah always kind of pushing the envelope and someone's a special guy he, he uh he presented a, did he present at that event that you went to he was a guest he was a guest presenter at one of the was it that one uh, he, the second one I went to in Brisbane, he yeah, yeah, yeah. he kind of spoke about his tendon loading model that those guys implement at that uh, were, were implementing at that stage. But yeah, yeah he, he's, he's such a nice guy. Still keeping in touch with so he, he's a great bloke and he's always very giving this time. And like, whenever I've got questions about rehab or program, he's more than willing to kind of have a chat, which is pretty cool. Yeah, he's a legend. Yeah, he's a great bloke. And then, um, so yeah, that I was there for a season. Um, then, kind of went back to just being full time in clinic. Kind of, was, they had some shifts with staff. Hey, eh? like there was a few changes at the top. And is that what there was? Kind yeah, of yeah. a reshuffle. 
new head coach and yeah. uh, new performance manager and a few different. That's uh, welcome. Stuff. Welcome to the world of elite sport. That's that's a big part of the reason why Real Movement Project exists because if the head coach changes, then potentially everything changes. And yeah, as when I was having a my was coming along it was like I don't know if I want to be at the whim of of the the sports gods. But yeah, you had a taste of it, you know, pretty early on with uh with that. Was that tough? Yeah, it's, it's tough. Like, we didn't have a great season in terms of wins and losses. And, like, I, as I kind of uh, mentioned before, I probably didn't make the most of my opportunity. Like, I, I probably could have given more to maybe have more of a say in whether I, I came back the next season in terms of staff member. So, like, you, you, learn, you live and you learn. I was trying to do probably too many things at once and didn't put enough effort into doing my – putting my best foot forward, if you want to put it that way. And, would you, um, what would you have done? Like, is it more more time there or what? what you... More time. Um, yeah, I guess just being more invested in that being my, my focus and sole priority, whereas I had a, another job that was paying the bills and paying the mortgage. And like I, I was probably splitting, putting too much energy into that if I wanted the, the sport to be my number one focus, if I'm 100% honest. Yeah. Um, just, just in hindsight, like I didn't realise it at the time, but looking back on it now, I realised that I probably should have and could have put a bit more energy and emphasis in. And was it tough? Yeah, it was tough. Like, as I said, it was like what I really wanted to do. And then having that not be what you do again, is it was a tough thing to go through for sure. Hmm. But I was lucky in having a clinic job and I, I really love work, working where I'm at. But that was you know, cool to have that as a, fall back and, and be able to continue building myself in that aspect, which I've, I feel like I've, I've done a good job of and gave me another opportunity to go forward and do some work with your brother, which was awesome at North Devils last year. Um, what was that experience like? Cause you're head of the head of the program there, like doing the, the, the main sort of meat of the physical stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, so I kind of shared it with another guy, um, you come across all these legend characters in, in sport, but uh, Dr. Rich Johnson from ACU, he's, he's another great bloke that I had a, the opportunity of kind of sharing that program with. So he was more in charge of the, the sports science and, and monitoring it and the running, conditioning, uh, sprinting, yes. tech stuff. And then I was, my realm was on the black mats on the turf in the gym. So I was doing the, the strength and the rehab side of things. Yeah. Yeah. But it, Awesome, awesome environment. Your, your brother has a kind of similar kind of, I guess, or process around challenging the norm of the way you prepare athletes. So it was good coming into an environment like that where you got to throw heaps of gymnastic stuff at guys and, and um, lots of emphasis on strength and movement quality, um, lots of emphasis on getting people uncomfortable with developing new skills like juggling, tumbling, hand-eye stuff, feet juggling. Um, you know, can you pass a footy, but can you kick and he had those foot skills as well uh, really really challenging people to become better all-rounded people athletes whatever word you want to use there but it was a cool environment to be a part of from the start um yeah it was it was a very it was motivating as well like your brother's been around some awesome coaches and watching his interaction with different people was was really cool the way he motivated guys to get a little bit of extra performance or challenge their thought process around where their limitations fly and getting a little bit more out of them from a, a mental point of view. You know, it's not always physical. You might have the goods in the body, but if you, if you can't manifest that into good thoughts, good actions, 
um, or, or not kind of self-limiting your beliefs, then, you know, you're not, you're never going to live up to your potential, but he kind of seemed to have a good ability to get that little bit of extra out of people and make them believe in themselves a little bit more. And like that was a cool thing to be a part of as well. Yeah. Yeah. That is, he's, uh, he's pretty clear on being a career coach and he's been pretty clear on it from, from fairly early in his life. You know, he's one of those lucky guys that sort of knows what he wants to do. I think he, he decided that maybe before he hit his teens, I don't know. It was like pretty, pretty early on. And, uh, and he's been doing it, you know, for a long time and with a lot of passion. And yeah, I think there's so much personal evolution in being a coach and running a program. And I'm glad that you guys got to spend that time together. Um, what was it like with, you know, I guess doing, you know, doing some of that broader skill stuff like that, obviously real movement really, you know, deeply believes in being kind of a multi-sport athlete, even when you're specializing in one sport, like keeping some physical base, um, not just, you know, specializing to the point where everything else is horrible. Like how, how was it like being in that environment and teaching some of that stuff? And yeah, as I said, it was a motivating place to work. And that was part of it, definitely. Like the guys bought into that heavily. Like it's fun. Like rolling yeah. around gymnastic skills is awesome. The guys, every day they're in there before training, juggling, learning how to juggle, and they're um, challenging each other's, uh, you know, each other with handstands and doing some of that cool, more broad-based athletic skills. You know, can you control your body in space? Um, can you make it fun? Like that was a big element of being there as well. Like fun challenging skills like that it was awesome to be able to implement stuff that wasn't just your stock standard you know bench squat is fun is fun allowed in the sports science paradigm is that is that being researched as far as uh training athletes goes is there a is there a study on the fun component it might be coming out in 10 years time we'll have to wait yeah yeah it's it's good i like you because you know you've got you've got that you know, clinical side, but then you also like ha- have some touch with the human side. And I'd, I'd like to think that that's also, you know, part of what real movements done differently or, you know, working with, with athletes and that, like trying to keep that human side and, and, you know, making sure like the environment is such a huge part of whether a, success, a session is successful or not. Right? Like you can have things written on paper. I guess you've seen a bunch of different environments now where, what's written on paper doesn't necessarily determine the training outcome. Like there's so much between what's on the, what's on the paper or what you prescribe to a client and how they execute it and their motivation towards it and the standards that are set around them and that sort of thing. Like, um, yeah, I don't know what I'm, what I'm getting at with this, but it's like. hundred percent agree. And they've done studies on people's outcomes from treatment depend heavily on whether they like the person that's treating them or not. So, I guess you could relate that to having fun or having a good mindset around what you're doing, but it's a hundred percent true. And the more you chat to guys who are involved in professional sport, the more they realize, Oh yes, it matters what you do. Like if the guys aren't having fun doing it, then you're going to have a real hard time getting performance out of the lads. And that's kind of like a consistent message you hear from people who work in professional sport even. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's, something that I think is massively underemphasized and underestimated when you do a degree and you know, maybe they can't teach it. Maybe it's not their, um, you know, their place to teach it, but like the human skills are a huge part of employability. And, and for the most part, you only really develop them. If you like on your prac placement, if you get a good prac placement and you buy into that properly, 
you know, which is not necessarily the case for a lot of people who might go somewhere as a box ticking exercise. And then, yeah, you miss out on a huge part of what's going to make a difference on how much money you end up making and how many people you end up helping. Definitely. And that kind of brings back to that, the second part of that question you asked earlier about what young guys coming through can do. And mm. like, Good memory. <laughs> I'll just uh, made a note on that back there. Mate. Um, the, but yeah, the, having the experiential part of the, the whole sport science or ex-phys or coaching, whatever label you want to put on it as a career, you've got to, you've got to experience stuff. Like you need to know what it feels like. You need to be in environments where it sucks. You need to be in environments where it's good and you need to not look at it as good and bad and just like learning experiences of what would you do? What would you take from that context? What can you, you know, what would you not do from that context? Like don't judge people for the experience they're in. Like to have a step back and go, oh, why the hell are they doing that exercise? You, you don't usually know why they are or, you know, and, you know, I wouldn't do that for my athlete. Well, is your athlete like an Olympic sprinter or is she you know, a swimmer or like, what's the context that you're, you're looking at? And you, you only really get that from being in lots of different environments to realize that there are a thousand different ways to skin a cat and you need to have a thousand different tools in your toolbox so you, you, you're armed for all those different clients you're going to deal with or different injuries you're going to deal with or uh, different performances you're trying to get out of people as well different personalities like it's all it's all very helpful and that's a big part of what a young coach can do coming through uni is make sure you're networking with people within the industry if if you know you want to be working in professional sport don't leave it to when you graduate to to start making connections within that field like if you know that's what you want to do from year one you need to be like going out giving your time up networking with people upskilling doing professional development course you need to be invested in becoming a better coach um, but you need to know that that people out there who are in the right place you, you, they need to know you exist as well so if you just come in and, and throw a resume into a job without knowing anyone within the industry or without having any good experience behind your name that's always going to be a tough uh, position to come from to, to get a gig if that's what you're trying to do um, but yeah and then Obviously, surrounding yourself with people who train as well, that's a big part of that experiential uh, learning, just you know, training yourself, putting yourself through the paces. Um, but yeah, I guess that would be the networking, training yourself and um, kind of like continually trying to grow your toolbox. That would be like the, the three things yeah. I would kind of put at the, the top there. Good, good advice. And yeah, like that's pretty much what we've tried to do and everyone who's wanted to get a shot in elite sport in real movement to, to my knowledge they've, they've had some access to, to that environment whether it's been because of real movement or just you know they they made that decision and they found it themselves but you know there's there's definitely you know, a lot of guys who've had those kind of opportunities and and gone in that direction and yeah it's just get yourself in that environment you know i remember speaking to chad mcgill maybe i'll get him on next or or sometime soon, but he, you know, he just finished playing footy and he's like, I'd like to work in footy, but I'm just a PT. And, you know, we, I set him up to have a couple of interviews and he actually had contacts because he'd been through footy and he ended up having two job opportunities for that next season when he was like 21. He was like a recent graduate, nothing really, no, you know, what's next. And he had two opportunities. Like he got offered something at the, at the Roosters as well as at Penrith. And he took the Penrith one and he worked his way up there and they won a few competitions in, in juniors and, 
and the, the New South Wales Cup, and, and now he's at the Roosters, you know. So, you know, he ended up getting that pulled him over there, you know, as, as well. So, like, it's funny how if you just make, make a decision and just back it with some action, and you know, for sure, like, you, you know, the money's not going to be there initially. It's good to do it when you're young, you know, if you've got support for your, from your parents or somehow you know that you're not going to starve. Um, you know, that's a good place to, to be. Um, all right. I think, uh, I think we're coming to an end. I, I really appreciate your, your time with this year. Maybe finish with a few thoughts about what's next. You've been going, you know, hard with this for, uh, for quite a while. And, and, uh, you're, you're a little bit older than you look. If I, uh, if I might say so, you, you look very, uh, young compared to your, your actual biological age, but what are you, what are you working on? What are you excited about? What's the, what do you see in the next chapter? I'm going to open this door for my daughter. Yeah, go for it. Well, speaking of um, daughter, yeah, I've got, got a baby on the way at the end of the year, which is super exciting. So I guess that'll be a, a new chapter for me. Um, I'll start banking some sleep now. Maybe I won't be looking as young as I, I do uh, later in the year. So, uh, But yeah, I guess professionally, I really enjoy working at Aspire uh, where I'm at at the moment. We've got uh, Queensland Sports Medicine Centre that we work closely with as well. And those guys are, are geniuses with what they do. They're kind of at the, the pinnacle of sports rehab, in my opinion. I think they're the best within Australia, if I'm biased in saying so, but definitely within Queensland, that they're really great at what they do. Um, so I'm enjoying growing. They're seeing a whole heap of different people and kind of refining my processes and protocols around rehabbing guys. Um, maybe putting a few more thoughts down like in a like an educational form for people to just uh, read through the ramblings of a madman, like I probably did today, a little bit of ramble, but uh, just kind of, yeah, I guess nutting out some thought processes in that regard, um, putting that out there for the, the greater public to kind of critique or have a read of. And I know just, just keep challenging myself to get better. I, I started doing some more professional development stuff consistently this year, being to, three courses already diving deep into breathing practice stuff, which has been massive. And I know just, just getting it, I guess broadening my, my skill set is really what I hope to do over across the next year, add some more uh, assessments and, and therapies to my, my toolkit. I think breathing is a great, is a great area to do more exploration. It's cool that, you know, it's come to light how much difference, you know, some of the different protocols around, around that can make to quality of life, quality of recovery, Etc. And there's, there's probably a whole other uh, podcast there at some stage. But um, yeah, thanks, thanks each for your time. If people do want to check you out and follow along a bit more on your journey, uh, maybe we can. There might be an opportunity to to get something else going to uh, to help get some more of that wisdom out to the world through real movement as we as we get this thing pumping again. But in the meantime, like, what uh, how can people see a bit more from from you, or if they've got questions from today, how can they uh, get in contact? Uh, mate, uh, they can jump on Insta. I'm sporadic on that, but at Hugh Darnell there. Um, and maybe I'll shoot my email through to you and you can chuck it in the notes or something. And, and people can, if they want to have a bit more of a chat, they can shoot me an email if they've got any interesting rehab clients or anything like that. And we can um, yeah, have a bit of a chat over email. Probably a good way to finish that people, if you're really enthusiastic about getting somewhere, people like you, uh, actually pretty open to, to having a conversation, to helping you solve problems. Like you, you've done a lot for, you know, where your age and where you're at right now, 
people coming out of exercise science and sports science probably think, wow, it'd be amazing to ever get to that position. But, you know, you know what it's like as well to, to be a graduate. So I think that is a huge thing, like get connected up and reach out and make stuff happen. Don't just, you know, think you're going to fall into a job or don't accept, you know, that you're going to end up in some kind of job that you're not that inspired by. Like get connected, make the effort and, you know, yeah, he's like offering to mentor you personally. No, he's offering, you know, like he's putting his email out there and people will answer questions and they want to interact with enthusiastic people who, you know, want to get somewhere. So like that's, uh, I think that's a good way to finish. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I by no means profess to know everything, but maybe I'm a few steps down, further down the track than these guys want to be. So happy to help out where I can. Yeah, and I think once you know it all, then it's time to be in the box anyway. The fun is in the mystery, right? Like there's there's a lot more to solve and yeah, humans are infinitely complex, so there's no there's no chance of having it all answered really. It's a moving target. Mm. Uh, Epic appreciate, will, appreciate yeah, I really you've done for me as well, Keith, mate. You've been a massive mentor and help and I, I talked about self limiting beliefs and you were one of those people that kinda unlocked a bit more potential in me, I reckon. So thankful for that. I appreciate that, man. I really appreciate you making time today and sharing your message and yeah, look forward to being connected more in the, in the future. Awesome case. Thanks brother. Thank you.